Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. It's very good to be with you again, Bethel. So happy and really honored. This is not just any Sunday in my book. I, it's, a, it's an important Sunday. Wonderful worship service already. Enjoyed it very much. Uh, I'm particularly honored today because you may not know this, but today, this Sunday in particular, marks the week when Pastor James has been here for nine years as senior pastor, 18 years total. So I think that's a big deal. Um, I want to celebrate him. So that was just during the week, this, during the week that happened, uh, we mar marked that nine-year nine mark. So if you're in the chat online, just drop a chat in to celebrate Pastor James, if you don't mind. We'll take a screenshot of that, send it to him. I know he'd love to see it. If you can't do that, send him a note. Send him a note. Send Lady Lowe a note. Send the whole Lowe family a note. Send them cards. Flood their mailboxes. Let them know how much you love them. They've done so much to pour themselves out for this church. Such great leadership, strong leadership, and, and they're a wonderful gift to this community and to this church. I know you know that, but I just don't want you to miss that special moment for them. And I'm honored he lets me be in his pulpit on that day. Now he's preaching, of course, somewhere else, preaching for a friend of every nation, Chris Johnson, his church. So maybe you look him up online, listen to his sermon, you get to hear what he would say uh, here today. But we're in the I Am series, and if you have your book, you can pull that out today. If you're in the building, you can get that free just out at the table. It's free for anybody who comes here uh, to church, just grab a book. Uh, if you don't have one for each, uh, each of the members of my family, we ordered it on Amazon. I live in Indiana. I'm a, I'm a guest here today. But each member of, of our family is going through this together. Holly's a school teacher. She sets a little clock for us every day. When we have a time we can be together in the living room, we all do our devotions around this book. It's a wonderful family discipleship tool. So I, I, I hope you'll, you'll use, use this. And there's a, a space on page 25 for you to take notes today uh, from John chapter 4 is where we're going to be. John chapter 4. I want to set it up, though, uh, by giving a little bit of cultural contact, context connection that uh, gives our culture a connection with that culture. What's going on in John chapter 4, what we're going to read. Uh, there's a little book. This is, I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit, this is new to me. I did not know about it until this year. Uh, I think it's important to admit things we don't know when we didn't know them and to admit we learned something when we had to learn it. Uh, I'm on a 25-year journey of continuing to try to learn more and more things. Uh, Black History Month is an important part of that for me every year, trying to learn new things. For me, this is a new deal, this green book. Many of you know about this. The green book was written by a gentleman, African-American gentleman in New York City, Victor Green. It's got his name attached to it and then therefore his color. Uh, but uh, Green wrote this book because back in 1930s, it was, I think the first publication was 1936, African-Americans couldn't always find a place to go use a, a, a gas station, to go to a restroom, to, to eat at a restaurant, even stay in a hotel. If you wanted to go on a vacation, you had to know where you could go safely, where you wouldn't be rejected, where you wouldn't be turned away. Forgive me for, for referencing. I mean, it's a bit of a traumatic piece of history, not a bit, a big piece of traumatic history for us. Uh, for me, it's important for me to acknowledge it, own it, yeah. grieve it. Uh, because the reality that stands behind this book is just shocking, right? 
that you would have to try to find where you could go safely. And before the Green Book was published, it was only word of mouth. And, and, and fathers who were trying to plan their family vacation would pull out the map and, and try to find out which gas stations they could go to and reroute in order to go through a gas station, go to a hotel. Some of these uh, states that you look in might have two or three hotels for the whole state. And I'm speaking even in the north. Sometimes it's just relegated to the segregated south. The, the, the north was just as bad. In Wisconsin, the whole state of Wisconsin, when you read in this book, you can only find a few places where African-Americans would feel safe. Republished multiple times all the way up through 1966. Eventually, the civil rights legislation started to make things better. Started, and we still have uh, a movement to make. Why do I share that? Why do I share the Green Books? Not just because of Black History Month, although I think that's good enough reason. Uh, it gives a context for John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, turn there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. In John chapter 4, we have a green book situation. And once you know that, you can understand what's going on. There's a green book situation going on here. Let me read, starting in verse 1 of John chapter 4. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, only his disciples... He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. That's important that you catch that. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, or Sychar, depending on how you want to pronounce that, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It's about the sixth hour. That's noon. Uh, in that day and time, you started at six and counted forward. It's the sixth hour, they would say. Why do I say that's a green book situation? Jesus is a Jew. He's going into Samaria. These are Samaritans. Now, Jews and Samaritans didn't always get along. As a matter of fact, they rarely got along. There was mutual enmity, anger, bitterness, strife, hatred, it was significant. It was known at the time that if you were a Jew traveling through Samaria, you might be harassed, even persecuted. So the green book of Jesus' day, if there was one, or the word of mouth green book for Jews of that day would have told Jesus, don't go through Samaria. Don't go through there. You're not welcome. You won't be served. You won't be treated well. You might be harassed. You might be killed. Why does it say he had to go through Samaria? That's what we should ask. Let me pause for a moment. We're going through John chapter 4. It's a large chapter. So I want to kind of break it down so that we can understand it. We're going to do four movements, sort of like four acts of the play. But today I want to focus not just on what Jesus said, but on what Jesus did and what he did by what he said in this powerful story. So there's going to be four movements. Let me give you the first one, and then we're going to explain more of this Samaritan deal. The first movement uh, is that Jesus went out of his way. Jesus goes out of his way to make diverse disciples. I'm just trying to summarize what Jesus is actually doing here, and I think you'll see it as we go through this passage. Jesus goes out of his way to make diverse disciples. Disciples. There's a picture of a map I want to just have up on the screen here to help us try to understand that. That'll come up here in just a moment. Uh, if you look at that map there, you'll see that Judea is in the south. It says that Jesus had to leave Judea. Do you see that there? And go up back to the north, to Galilee. 
That's just a northern part of Israel. So both of those were considered part of Israel to the Israelite. Judea and Galilee were both Jewish-friendly spaces. Now, there's two lines there. The green line is the Samaritan route that Jesus takes. It's actually the shorter route. It's about 60 miles to go the distance he's going to go this, in this story. The red route is the usual route. You'll see that on the map if you can see down there at the bottom. That's the usual route for a Jew. You would go east to the right, cross over the Jordan River, walk up the Jordan River Valley until you crossed back over once you were past Samaria to get into Galilee. Jesus doesn't take the usual route. (laughs) So we don't know that. We live in this time period. We don't know this is a green book situation. We just read the text and think, oh, we had to go through Samaria. Well, ho-hum. No, 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 no. Every reader of John's gospel would know this is an ironic statement, a strange statement, a wake-you-up statement. Uh, What's going on with this guy? Why in the world would you go through Samaria? So it would raise your interest. What is Jesus doing? Jesus doesn't take this route just once. He takes it several times. He also takes the other route. But we notice when he takes the route another time, Luke chapter 9, verses 52 through 54. If you uh, notice what happens in Luke chapter 9, you'll notice that Jesus sends his disciples ahead of him. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans. That's verse 52. To make preparations for him. Uh, Verse 53. Verse 53. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. He's a Jew and he's heading to worship in Jerusalem and they don't like that. They think you should worship in Samaria, on Mount Gerizim, not down there in Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them? (laughs) Jesus, we know you're powerful. These are just a bunch of Samaritans. Can we call down fire and destroy them? So in other words, this, this hatred was mutual. This hatred was common. And the Samaritans at one other time just completely rejected Jesus and the disciples and said, we don't serve your kind here. You're not welcome here. You better not be in this town at sundown. Do you catch the context? It's that kind of violent, mutual hatred. And Jesus chooses to go through a place where he would not be comfortable. Makes his disciples go to a place they would not be comfortable. Sends them into town in a place with full of people that they don't normally associate with. Who will look at them sideways and say, what are you doing here? You know you don't belong here. Now, I want to name something as, as a white person, uh, several things as a white person. Neither of these groups are white people. <laughs> Sometimes, as a white person, you read the text and you start to associate with groups that aren't really you. It, it, for me, as a white person, that's the Romans. I might more collect, connect more closely to the Romans, the group of people who is over both of these. These are actually both brown groups, and they have an inner conflict between them, and I know you know what I'm talking about, and they're trying to set up their own pecking order back and forth. Uh, Name another thing. There's certain things that make white people comfortable, like Barry Manilow. (laughs) Okay. It's just a joke. I don't really. I just a joke. I don't really like Barry Manilow. Now, there's certain things that make white people comfortable. What this is, we have to just admit it. There's places I feel comfortable. Places I feel at home. Don't even notice the air is normal for me, right? 
And I don't always remember. That's not always comfortable for somebody else. I was meeting a friend of mine, meeting halfway in between a different city. We're trying to meet each other. We're going through a meeting for a whole day. He's an African-American guy. And uh, he set up the meeting, and we ended up at Panera. But I, I didn't realize until I went into Panera, I was sitting down, I was sitting with him, and I'm looking around. Do this sometime. Go to Panera, sit down, look around, count the faces, name, name the colors, and figure things out, right? I'm sitting down there at Panera, and I said, I'm so sorry. I should have said something. When you suggested this, you don't have to come to Panera for me. <laughs> we can go somewhere else. He laughed. We joked about it for a while. Uh, here's why I mentioned all that kind of stuff. This is a church that focuses on diversity. What a great church this is. What a beautiful thing. The values up on the screen at the beginning of the service, devotion, diversity, discipleship, that middle thing is what makes it so unique. So many monolithic churches are doing devotion. So many monolithic churches are doing discipleship, but we're saying, no, we're going to cross lines here at Bethel. Isn't that what you're saying? Am I, am I in the right church? Yes. So that means we got to go places that we're not comfortable being. And some of you might have come into church today and you might have said, well, I'm not comfortable right now in that song or I'm not comfortable right now in that moment. There's going to be things we give up. I know you're, you're giving them up already because you're here. But not just at church. I want to ask us all, not just is our church doing this, but are we as individuals doing this? Let me ask you a question, a very pointed question. I know I'm a guest, forgive me. But are you going where people like you feel comfortable or are you also going where people like you don't feel comfortable? Are you only going places where people like you feel comfortable. We have to step outside of what's comfortable and easy and clean. And I can't even ask you to do what Jesus did. I don't even feel, I don't, I don't even feel like I'm allowed to do that. The Spirit's going to have to lead you if you're going to go someplace where you're actually in danger. But we can at least get them into place, follow Jesus enough that we're in a place where we're not comfortable. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Go places where you're not comfortable for the sake of, of, of diverse discipleship. Sometimes that's just 30 feet. Walk 30 feet across the room to that enclave of other people who don't look like you and enter the conversation. It will be awkward for a few minutes. <laughs> it'll, it'll smooth out. Trust me. Go 30 feet across in your neighborhood, across the driveways to the place where they're taking out their trash and have the conversation. Go 30 feet toward the other person in your neighborhood. Don't cross the street away from the people in your neighborhood. Go 30 feet toward the people in your neighborhood. Get uncomfortable. If we want to do what Jesus did, not just pay attention to what he said, we have to follow his movement. And his first movement is to go out of his way, out of his Jewish way. To make diverse disciples. The second movement is this. You can write it down in your notes. If you're taking notes, movement number two, Jesus takes advantage of opportunities others avoid. He just takes advantage of opportunities others avoid. It's one thing to go into some place uncomfortable. It's another thing to take advantage of what happens in a place where you're uncomfortable. Sometimes when you're in a place where you're already uncomfortable, you just want to get by. You just want to smooth it out. You just want to make it through. But Jesus doesn't do that. He takes advantage of it. He presses the situation. You see, I don't think Jesus had a geographical reason for going through Samaria. He could have gone another way. I don't think Jesus had even a relational reason to go because he didn't have some relationship already there he was trying to maintain. Some people say that. I don't think he had a temporal reason to go through Samaria time. He wasn't in a hurry. He ends up staying here a lot longer than his disciples ever thought they would. Those are the only reasons Jews of that day went through there. Jesus didn't have a geographical, didn't have a relational, didn't have a temporal reason to go through Samaria. He had a missional reason to go through Samaria. 
He was on mission. He was on purpose. He went out of his way, not just to go out of his way. He got uncomfortable, not just to get uncomfortable. Jesus loves every single person on this planet. And he's on mission. And he's going to take advantage of that mission. Look in verses 7 through 8, and you'll see what I'm saying. A woman, names it very explicitly, from Samaria. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, hey, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Perhaps John, he often disappears in his own gospel. Perhaps John is still there and witnessing, and that's the only disciple there. And that's why we get the account. It's possible John is there. But all the rest have gone into town to buy food. She says this, verse 9, How is it that you, and names it, a Jew, as if he didn't remember what he was, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me? For a drink, a woman of Samaria. Uh, You see, this is a situation most men of Jesus' day would avoid. Number one, it's a woman. And Jesus consistently allows women to be in the equal place of discipleship that men are in. He did it in a way that was controversial. He did it with Mary and Martha. He did it with Mary and Magdalene. He does it with the woman at the well. He elevates women again and again and again to a place of equality. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing that Jesus is doing in his time. He is not submerging. He is elevating in a way that many men would say, what are you doing over there? Why are you talking to her? You shouldn't even be talking to her. Don't talk to her. She's not your wife. Don't talk to her in public. And Martha would say, get Mary back in the kitchen. And Jesus said, don't talk to her that way. She's exactly where she should be. She's a woman, and she's a Samaritan. But why is it that she, she doesn't feel like Jesus should ask her for a drink just because she's a woman and a Samaritan? Now, let me give you another context piece. I think this will help us get the emotion that's there. Uh, put an image up on the screen here of a sign that was pretty common at the time. I'm not even going to read it. It would hurt me to read it. I'm just going to say it's too painful for me to read it out loud. I'll just read the first part. No dogs on the same sign. This was sometimes on whole towns, but then later on, once these segregated towns and sundown towns began to diminish, pools stayed segregated much longer than schools even. And we have pictures in the 1960s of swim-ins when hotel managers would pour muriatic acid over the African-Americans and, and, and white uh, men and women who were swimming in the pool to clean it. It's a cleaning agent that would hurt your skin because they were making it unclean. Why would you put dogs in the same category? That sort of prejudice, and it was there in that time, it's here now. I think that prejudice is part of the nature of sin within us. It's something that only Christ can fully overcome. This Messiah, he is going to say, I am the Messiah. But what kind of Messiah is he? We're going to get to that in a moment. Uh, Only the Messiah can fully overcome this sin in us. I really believe that. But it's endemic. It's everywhere. It's not just here in America. It's, It's here in America. It's a crucial part of our story we can't ignore. But every part of the world I go in, it is there. My friend who's a Chinese Filipino feels prejudiced because he's Chinese and a Filipino. Uh, When I go to Korea, I say, well, is anybody that's not Korean ever voted in as a politician? And they laugh. No. Uh, Prejudice is, is, it's everywhere. But part of that, what what happens for some reason with us as humans when we start to have prejudice is a subconscious factor about difference sets in, as if someone is unclean. 
when it really gets ratcheted up, that uncleanliness is, and I can't swim in the same water, that'd be like swimming in the water with a dog. It's evil. I'm naming evil. Please understand. So I won't swim in the same water. Uh, that's why when Fred Rogers soaked his feet in a pool next to an African-American police officer in his show, that was such a public protest moment that was powerful, that image, a white man's feet in with a black man's feet in a pool for kids to see. I won't drink that water. I won't eat off of those utensils. I won't, so Jews wouldn't eat from the, from the dishes that Samaritans would eat from. They, they wouldn't want to stay in the same bed where a Samaritan would sleep. That would be dirty. Do you understand the emotion now? That's the emotion she's naming. How is it that you, a Jew, would even ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink? You can't drink this water. It would be dirty, wouldn't it? Wouldn't I make you unclean? What are your friends going to say? Won't, won't they say that you're unclean? And, and sometimes we have to recognize this, that there's a sort of, people will distance themselves from us when we cross over lines of distance, and they will start to push us away and say, well, you're just basically, you're one of them now, aren't you? John chapter 8 is just a couple pages forward in your Bible. If you look at John chapter 8 and verse 48, this happens to Jesus because of his association with the Samaritans. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and that you have a demon? Dehumanizing, demonizing. Uh, this is a pattern of prejudice. Most people would avoid all that pain. <laughs> Most people would avoid that conflict. Jesus takes advantage of it and says, I would be glad to take a drink from you. I would be glad to share water with you. I would be glad to share a table with you. I would be glad to have you in my home. I would be glad to be in your home. I would, glad, I would gladly associate with you and take every loss that comes with that. Can you hear what a beautiful thing that is for a person to do? So I have a question for you. Are you avoiding any opportunities to make diverse disciples? Ask that question because of association. And it goes multiple ways. It's not just one way, by the way. I know some of you have, been, have heard these kinds of things. Well, I know you're that color on the outside, but you're this color on the inside, aren't you? It's painful. I'm naming pain. It's worth it. It's worth it. It costs us something to value diversity. It does. It costs us. And I know it doesn't cost me as much as it costs others. I'm aware of that. But let's move into it. I think it's important to say it. Are you avoiding the trash can moment? Are you avoiding the mailbox moment? Are you avoiding the, the stop by in that certain office? Are, are, are you avoiding those things? It only takes 30 seconds sometimes to support somebody in a meeting nobody else would support. It only takes 30 seconds to have a conversation with somebody who's left out in that moment that, that isn't included. It just takes 30 seconds. Jesus went out of his way. Sometimes it's only 30 feet. Jesus took advantage of that opportunity. Sometimes it's only 30 seconds. Can you take 30 feet? Can you take 30 seconds? That's all I think Jesus is asking. He went a whole extra day. 
for it. Movement number three, Jesus takes the conversation as deep as she is willing to go. I think this is important for us to recognize. Sometimes we can enter into these things in a very shallow way. And sometimes we can push ourselves into things at a level somebody else isn't yet willing to go. Either one is not really following Jesus. Either one. It's very important to name that. We're not shoving ourselves into people's lives saying, Jesus, 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 and shoving it down their throat. And we're not shoving our love into somebody's lives saying, I want to love you. I want to be your friend. But they don't want to be your friend yet. They don't have to be ready for that. They may need a little space to get used to you even existing in that same sphere. (laughs) That's okay. But Jesus takes the conversation the whole way through as deep as she is willing to go. Each level, she keeps the door open, he steps in. She keeps the door open, he steps in. She keeps the door open, she steps in. Now, I don't want to focus on exactly what he said. Many sermons on the woman on the well focus on what he said, and that's worth doing. I want to focus on what he's doing in what he says so that we can copy it. I want to follow Jesus. I want to get behind his movement. I want to do what he does, not to say what he says. And some people, if I say, I want to give you living water that will well up into eternal life, they look at me like I'm an idiot. Like, what planet did you come from? What are you talking about? It made sense to her. Now, let me give you some principles, four principles for initiating these spiritual conversations. It's not just diversity for diversity's sake. It's diversity for discipleship's sake. Devotion, diversity, discipleship, all together. Yes? And it's okay, by the way, if you shout out in your living room every now and then. And when, you know, your mom or dad just looks at you funny, just say, well, I've got the spirit. All right. So four principles. Number one, start with daily reality. Start with daily reality. If you want to give that just a one-word label, you could write off to the side of that today. What's going on today? What's always going on today? What's the daily reality of the person you're talking to? What's their water In verses 7 to 8, he says, give me water. She's coming to get water in the middle of the day, in the heat of the sun, when other women don't come because she's been shamed and ostracized. Most likely, most uh, commentators say she asks him, he asks her for water because it's the thing that's always happening every day for her. It's a daily reality. For some people, sports is a daily reality. For some people, their job is the daily reality. For some people, their kids is the daily reality. For some people, it's it's the um, the search for the home, the, the homes around here just fly off the market, right? I try to find a home. For some people, it's the, the, the stock market. They're working in the stock market every day. For some people, it's science, and they're just all the way down in the weeds on every scientific thing. What's their daily reality? Meet them there. Ask them a question about that. Share something with them there. If you want to be a better evangelist, raise your hand if you do. All right. I love every single one of you. All right. If you want to be a better evangelist, get more familiar, at least a little bit, with more people's daily reality even if it isn't yours. Read an article. Listen to a new musician. Ask them what's on their list. Watch a different movie. Go to a different space. Appreciate a different style. Look up something you don't understand. Find out what their daily reality is. Get a connection point if you don't have one. It doesn't have to be your thing. You don't have to become an expert. Just know a little bit about a lot of things, and you automatically become a better evangelist because you have something to talk about too. Connect the deeper longing. Verses 9 through 15, Jesus takes it a step farther when she asks, why do you want, to give, why do you want me to give you a drink? Uh, Jesus goes farther. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Stops there. 
Living water. Living water is flowing water, a spring or a stream that would always be clean. That's what it meant to her. You don't want to keep walking a half a mile with 25 pounds of water in a jug every day, do you? If you knew me, I would have given you a stream of water. He's connecting to what she's wanting, her longing, her deeper longing. She doesn't just want to keep coming here and get water every day. She's tired. He's recognizing her tiredness. He's recognizing something she wants that she doesn't have, and he's naming it for her. Recognize people's deeper longing. They want a promotion they're never receiving. They wish they could have had another child. They couldn't. They, they, they want to move forward in some area of life. They can't move forward in. They wish they had deeper connections. They feel isolated. They're alone. They're discouraged. They're despaired. They're frustrated. They're angry. They're tired. What's their deeper longing? And if you can connect with that and they give you a, a way in, another way in, move forward. Go as deep as they want to go. This is another way to go deeper. So beside that, you could write tomorrow. So the first word was today. Focus on their daily todayness, And then focus on tomorrow. What are they hoping for on the horizon? What would they wish would be different tomorrow? Today, tomorrow. Three. I'm skipping some things here. I know that I am, but just for the sake of time, you can go back and read this more today. There's a spot to journal in the I am book that you have. Number three, understand the point of pain. Verse 16, understand the point of pain. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you're with now is not your husband. What you have said, it is true. I read it with that tone because I think that's the tone Jesus used. She doesn't get angry. She doesn't get defensive. She doesn't feel like he's judging her. He just names what she already knows. And many people assume that she was a serial adulteress, but she wasn't. She was probably divorced multiple times. Men were in control of divorce, not women. She was probably discarded five times. If she was a serial adulteress, they would have driven her out of town or stoned her. Uh, five different men either died or discarded her, so there's grief and loss of one kind or another, and then this one who was with her doesn't even want to pony up and commit. Doesn't want to man up and say, yeah, I'll take care of you forever. I'll make the vow. He names that point of pain in an understanding way. Understand people's sorrow, and they'll often invite you deeper. Empathize. Don't pretend you understand. Say, I have no possible way of fully understanding what you're going through. That's better than, oh, I know exactly what you mean. Now, I remember when I was. <laughs> They'll shut that off in a, in a moment. They don't need you to name your pain. They need you to try to understand their pain and admit it when you don't. Most people who are resisting God have pain in their life. And number four, Focus on the condition of the heart. In, in, in verse 19, she does what uh, seekers often do. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And then she goes into a religious debate. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Which is it? Is it Mount Gerizim? That's what the Samaritans say. Is it Jerusalem? That's what the Jews say. You came and destroyed our temple. You destroyed it. You tore down our temple. But we still worship there. Are we supposed to come down there and worship with you where I can't even get into the woman's court? You won't even let me in there? Is that where I'm supposed to be? What is she doing? Now there's a little resistance, but it's not a closed door. She's setting a debate she really doesn't know the answer for. 
Well, some people say once saved, always saved. Other people say if you reject God, he'll, leave you, he'll, he'll reject you. Which one is it? Well, some people say God's in control of everything and even suffering happens because it's God's will. Other people say, well, God's just sorry for us, but it just happens. Which is it? Some, some people say, and other people say, some people say, and other people say, whenever you get into that conversation, recognize you can't ignore the question, but don't feel like you have to answer it on behalf of one side or the other. You probably have a side. And it might be the side that turns them away. The issue isn't the debate. You have to name it, but you have to transcend it. Jesus transcends it by focusing on the issue of the heart that it's connected to. And he transcends it by saying true worshipers will one day. True worshipers means that the label that we wear matches the substance of who we are. True worshipers. True worshipers will not worship on this mountain or on that mountain. But in spirit and in truth, do you really want to be a worshiper? Do you really want to follow God? That'll happen anywhere. And this is probably a summary of the conversation. It was probably much longer than that. But he's asking, are you a true worshiper? Of course, he could ask that of us today. Are you a true worshiper? Are you really there? And then he's, he's naming the heart issue. And then we get to this great I am statement. She says, well, the Messiah will come. And when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things. I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah, he says. But I want you to catch what that means, because all of this has been building to this moment. Please don't lose it here. Please, please, please don't check out here. Check in if you checked out. Check back in right now. There is a kind of Messiah that Jesus is saying he is by all that he's done. He's saying, I am the Messiah for all people, Samaritans and Jews. I, he didn't say I'm the Messiah until that is clear. I am the Messiah for divided people. I'm the Messiah for this group over here that's divided from that group over here. I'm the Messiah that brings them together. I am the Messiah for discarded people. You are a discarded person, and I am picking you back up today. You will no longer be discarded. I am the Messiah for despairing people, people who have lost hope, people who have felt like their daily reality can't change. Their longing will never be fulfilled. Their pain will never have healing. I'm the Messiah for that. I'm the Messiah for sexually confused people. I know your confusion. I know your frustration. You haven't found the love that you've been looking for. It's never come for you, but I am your Messiah. I am your chosen one. I am your anointed one. I'm the Messiah for the comfortable people and the uncomfortable people. If you're in a comfortable space, I'm your Messiah. If you're in an uncomfortable space, I am your Messiah. I am the Messiah for the people you're pursuing. <laughs> Listen. And I am the Messiah for the people you're avoiding. I am, he says today, the Messiah. And I am your Messiah. Pause there for a moment. And ask, if he's not your Messiah today, would you make him that? Whether you're here today or whether you're online, he's trying to get to you. It's not an accident you're listening. He's your Lord. He's not somebody else's Lord. And as a white man standing here, let me just say, this is not a white man's religion. Jesus was brown. Question for all of us. Are you taking conversations as deep as people are willing to go? Or are you checking out right when Jesus wants you checking in? The last movement is shorter than all the rest, but it's the most fun. <laughs> movement number four, Jesus enjoyed the benefits 
only diverse discipleship can bring. Write that down in your notes. If you didn't write anything else, write that down. Jesus enjoyed the benefits only diverse discipleship can bring. There's a community that only diverse discipleship can bring. There's a connection that only diverse discipleship can bring. There's a hospitality that only diverse discipleship can bring. There's a celebration that only the beloved community that is reconciled can bring. I'm telling you, there's something really good there. And in verse 27, we start to catch a picture of it. I don't have time to cover all of that section, but just then his disciples come back. They marveled at what he was talking about. They don't ask him what's going on or why he's talking with the woman. The woman leaves her water jar, went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Can this be the Messiah? They went out from the town, and meanwhile his disciples are urging him, Rabbi, eat. He says, I have food you don't know about. Has anyone brought him something to eat, they say? Jesus said, no, no, listen, listen. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I'm so full right now. You have no idea how full I feel. You don't even know what's going on. Look, you say four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, I wish Pastor James was here to say this right now. This is his passage. This is what he's been saying to you. He's been saying it's harvest time, but not any harvest. It's diverse discipleship harvest time. That's the context of that passage. Listen. You say four months, then comes the harvest. I tell you, look up your eyes. Look up, lift up your eyes. See that the fields are white for harvest. The town's coming out, and he's seeing them come. And he's saying, you don't see Samaritans. They're invisible to you. They're your harvest. The very people you don't see, the very people you turn your gaze away from, the very people you don't think about when you're room, they're the harvest. And then the town invites them in. The whole town comes to believe, and he spends two days in a Middle Eastern party. If you've never been in the Middle Eastern party, let me tell you, it's a feast. If you're the guest, it's a feast. And I, I, I have to admit that one of the best parts of the verse discipleship is the food. It's really good food. He, he enjoys a community that nobody else in that time enjoys. Nobody had that kind of connection between Samaritans and Jews. Nobody. I remember the first time I was invited to a party where I was the only white person, African-American party. A friend of mine is named Baxter Porter. He's part of my neighborhood. 30 feet here, 30 seconds there, 30 feet here, 30 seconds there. We struck up a friendship. Baxter Porter Sr., his son was Baxter Porter III. You hear in the last name the story of his long-term family and what that means to carry that name. Uh, after our friendship had built for a while, he invited me to a party. It was to celebrate Baxter Porter Jr.'s graduation from college. I was so excited to be there, so excited for Baxter Porter Jr. I'd connected with the father. He was older than me. I'd played Xbox with the son. He was younger than me. But I went into this party and realized after a few minutes, I was the only white guy there. I was uncomfortable. This is 2005. I've had a lot of journey since then. I have a lot of journey to go. But I could tell there were some people who didn't want me there. I had a couple conversations. There was some really good food, bacon wrapped steak, brats. I mean, good food. You go to a white person's graduation party, it's vegetables and dip. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Made my way up into the room where Baxter Porter Jr. was playing on the Xbox, and I was just kind of waiting my turn, thinking that we've connected here before. I've been in this room here before. We've played a lot of hours here. Why wouldn't I go up and say hi to him? It's his party. A guy starts ragging on me. He starts saying all kinds of things to me, attacking me personally slowly over the next five minutes. I'm trying to deflect, trying to add some humor, trying to help this thing just calm down. And then I'm starting to think maybe I should just go. Maybe I'm a problem. 
And then Baxter Porter Jr. said, hey, leave him alone. This guy's all right. I hadn't fully earned that. He gave that. And you could feel oxygen come back in the room. Everything calmed down. And I could ride on the back of the trust he had with Baxter Porter Jr. Not on his knowledge of me. He trusted Baxter. Now, okay, this guy's in my space. I wanted to let my hair down. I wanted to relax. I don't feel as safe as I would otherwise feel. But Baxter says it's okay, it's okay. There's a benefit to diverse discipleship. There's a connection. There's a community. There's a trust. You can't have any other way. My question for you, are you enjoying the benefits only diverse discipleship can bring? Not the church, you. Is your small group enjoying the benefits only diverse discipleship can bring? Is your family table enjoying the benefits only diverse discipleship can bring? If not, I'm not trying to guilt you. I want to invite you. It's good. It's really good. Don't you want in on that? 30 seconds. 30 feet. 30 times. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for each person who in their living room couches, in their easy chair, on the car ride, with the audio playing, here in the sanctuary, braving the snow and the sleet in their four-wheel drive trucks, (laughs) or their two-wheel drive cars that made it somehow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for each. Lord, we pray that what happened here on purpose, it wasn't an accident. Rice Brooks said, I will not pastor an all-white church. Thank you for Pastor Rice. Thank you for Bishop Rice. It wasn't on accident Pastor James consistently crosses lines again and again and again to make diverse discipleships. It's not happening on accident, but we could lose it on accident. Lord, we pray that you would make this a church that really lives out its fullness of values, devotion, diversity, discipleship, day in, day out. Make us people who go the extra 30 feet. Make us the people who stay an extra 30 seconds. Make us the people who are willing to do it 30 times if that's what it takes. Would you stand to your feet with me? Every head bowed and eyed closed. I just want to ask you if God is moving you to take some uncomfortable steps. Maybe he's putting a face or a name in your mind right now that you've been avoiding. A place you've not been willing to go. Or maybe you've gone 15 times that 30 extra feet, 30 extra seconds, and it's time for you to go 15 more. You gave up. If that's you, all I want you to do is just lift your hands just in a cupped up form to the Lord, asking to receive from His Spirit the guidance that you need. Jesus had to go through Samaria because the Spirit took Him there. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with a supernatural love that crosses over human boundaries. Ask the Spirit to give you the wisdom to say the words at the right time, to ask the right questions in the right way. Ask the Spirit to give you the humility to admit, I'm sorry, I messed that up, I said that wrong, I'm sorry. And the humility to receive forgiveness when we mess it up. I pray that you would ask the Spirit to show you the first step. What's the first step in that relationship or for that context or for that person or for that community or for your small group or for your family? What's the first step to help you move towards enjoying all the great benefits 
that diverse discipleship can bring. Look up now. If the Lord is speaking to you, I ask you to get this book out before you leave your living room, before you leave this space. Write down what he showed you. Write it down and share it with someone else so you might not do it. And now we just, I just want to pray a prayer of benediction over you and send you, Lord. I pray that you would send us from this place as diverse disciples on your mission. Put us on mission today, more clearly and more intentionally and more purposely than we have been. We pray that you would help us to not only go your way, but to enjoy your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here. Amen. Can we just thank God for his word that was preached this morning? Thank you, Dr. Dave. Simply incredible. I love 30 feet, 30 seconds, 30 times. We uh, just as a reminder for each of us uh, to be making diverse disciples to cross cultural lines. We actually have a gift for you today on your way out. Be sure uh, to grab one of these little boxes has a lot of Asian candies as well as some facts about Lunar New Year, how we can be praying for uh, for other cultures, specifically this week focused on the Asian community. Uh, But let's be people who are willing to walk 30 feet for 30 seconds. 30 times. If this is your first time here with us and you're in the sanctuary, uh, we'd love to meet you. Myself and some of our team will be over to your right, my left in this place we've labeled Guest Central. Just to say hi and answer any questions you have about Bethel. If you're joining us online, thank you for being here with us. Let the Lord bless you and keep you and we'll see you soon here at Bethel. Love you guys.